Welcome and thank you for joining me for this episode of The Marketing Mind. On this show, we dive deeper into conversations with my friends in digital marketing. These experts are the best in their fields. We dive deeper into what makes them tick. My name is John Ellis. I'm a marketing professional. I've been in digital marketing for close to 20 years now. And in that time, I've met a lot of great people and great experts. You can find me on Twitter every day discussing marketing, join the conversation, or just ask me about digital marketing questions. If I can't help you, I know an expert who can. Find me on Twitter at John W. Ellis. There's been so much response and comments on the last episode. We are off to a great start. I appreciate you listening. Today, I look inside the marketing mind of Aquila DeFazio, president of Acritize Inc. Aquila has had a big life shift over the past month. So I wanted to find out about that, her interesting background, and where she's heading. But I started by asking her, what is her main digital marketing focus currently? Mostly e-commerce, mobile app and event clients, Facebook, Instagram, and some Pinterest ads. Uh, I also do Twitter and LinkedIn, but not so much right now. I'm focusing on the, the, the first three. How do you tell people sort of outside uh, your industry, like your mom, for example, <laughs> what you do for a living? Oh gosh. Well, she finally, well, as you know, uh, when I first met you, I was doing more of uh, the paid search side of things. And before then she's like, Oh, do you work for Google? I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> so then it turned into, do you work for Facebook since I'm doing Facebook ads primarily? And she, while she's never been on social media, she understands because I've showed her what that looks like and she can grasp what it is, but she still has a hard time, uh, you know, conveying to other people what I do for work. But now we just stick to, I do advertising on the internet. <laughs> yeah, that's what, yeah, she, she wants to be proud of you and show off to your friends, but she doesn't know quite, quite know how to say, <laughs> how to say it. Yeah. Yeah, I do the same thing. I just tell my parents I do, I do advertising. Um, my example is that, you know, do you know those ads that seem to follow you around? That's, mm-hmm. that's what I, that's what I do, which doesn't, al- <laughs> doesn't always go over well. So I probably should, probably should come up with a better example. Yeah, that sounded, uh, that might sound a little creepy. Let's go back a little bit. Where are you from originally? I was born in Lithuania. How long were you there? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, we left right before the Cold War ended. I was five when we emigrated to Toronto, where I spent part of my childhood there. And if you want the long story, after Toronto, um, my mom met my uh, stepdad, who's pretty much my dad. I've, he's been around my life since I was five. So uh, we moved to Buffalo, New York, and that's where I spent from middle school through early university. And then I moved out west to Seattle, then to Long Beach, San Francisco, and I've been in the central coast of California for the last three years. And your mom in that area too? No, they were in Colorado for the last few years, but they just moved to Florida last week. How do you leave, which I guess is formerly USSR at that time? Is it a difficult thing? I assume you just can't say we're going to move. Oh, no, not really. We yeah. had, well, most of our family already left and oh. kind of, uh, you know, began establishing themselves in Toronto. And there's a huge Lithuanian population there. So we uh, had some roots put down early through other family members. But we, my mom and I had to escape. Funny enough, we can't fly out of Lithuania. We had to go into Moscow in the heat of it. <laughs> And I don't remember, I was so young, but we ended up getting out and just had one wooden crate with us with our belongings. So, but they, you had family, you did, you went instantly too in Canada? Yes. So oh, my so. aunt, grandmother, cousin, that's how the family was already there. Do you have siblings? Uh, I do not. Well, I have two stepsisters, but you know, they're, they're my sisters, but I didn't grow up with them. I'm just, I'm fascinated by that whole story, but you were, you were young though, right? You were basically a baby. Uh, I was five. So I, the only thing I remember was just Soviet tanks rolling down our street and the stories that my mom told me, but 
that was the only visual thing that I actually do remember. And then the, weirdly enough, this area in Moscow when my mom and I were trying to leave, uh, it had this weird wallpaper that I remember very vividly. What, has has she been back or have you been back since then? Yeah, we've been back. It's changed very much. You know, it's part of the EU now. So uh, it's, things are very different. So where'd you go to uh, college or did you go to college? I assume you I did. did. Yes. Yeah, so I started at the University of Buffalo and went for physical therapy. And towards the end of my time there, I realized it's not what I wanted to do. But I finished that degree in Seattle when I had moved there and then tried to get into grad school for uh, physical therapy and, you know, become licensed after working just as an aide. But I realized that I have all these school loans. The work is great and fascinating, but I just didn't feel fulfilled. And I always got to dabble with marketing in earlier jobs or at the clinics that I worked in. And I really wanted to explore that a little bit more. So I decided to ditch that, did one year of an MBA program in Vermont and realized that that too wasn't quite right. And I should just figure this out on my own because, you know, the digital space was moving so quickly. There weren't any degrees for it back then. And um, yeah, I jumped ship and decided to just do this marketing thing. That's funny because I've had uh, multiple conversations in the past week um, with two different people and one didn't even go to college at all. And they do what we do. They're in this industry. One, one didn't go to college at all. Um, and is a, and is a proponent of, um, not necessarily not going to college, but at least making sure, at least saying it's not right for everyone. And then the, and the other one was the same kind of way, just maybe not the right answer for everyone and, and not even go to college unless you know exactly what you want to do. Was college always, was it always an option? For you? Was it always on the table? Was it just um, assu- assumed you would go? Yeah, I was assumed I would go. It just kind of seemed like the path that everyone was doing back then and knows what was expected and what my parents, you know, expected of me as well. And uh, my stepdad, who's a doctor, he, you know, being immigrants that we knew that the one secure job is in medicine because you're always going to need that. And they really kind of tried to push me in that direction, but I wanted to do something more creative. So finally, when I got old enough to uh, feel confident in telling them, hey, I'm leaving school, <laughs> um, it was hard to you know prove myself for the first few years, but my parents are proud of what I do now and they understand it and there's a demand for it and to see how happy I am. And so it, it's definitely changed the perspective in the conversation with my family, especially with my nieces and nephews entering that college phase right now. So uh, they understand that it's not as necessary, but still important depending on certain areas of work that you go into. I mean, you kind of changed path there a little bit, but as, as a kid, did you, were you envisioning, what did you envision your job being? My first dream job was to be an archaeologist and I wanted to go to Egypt and find mummies. And after that, I realized that I might be in the desert just digging for years and may never find a single thing. So then that shifted to I wanted to be bigger than Walt Disney because I used to uh, draw a lot. And I still do. Uh, Art has been a really big big part of my life. So I used to make cartoons up. But at some point it turned into what (laughs) what, pre-med, I guess? Yeah. Then it shifted to uh, (laughs) didn't want to disappoint my parents. (laughs) Oh, Oh. Well, well, luckily you didn't. So it worked out well. Yeah. But I think I've heard you say before that um, music has always been a big part of your life too as well, right? Yes. Uh, my mother and aunt, grandmother, that side of the whole family, they're all professional pianists. So I grew up with a lot of music at home. So how's your how's your level playing compared to them? Ah, uh, Today? Uh, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even put me on the same map. <laughs> 
it's been so long, but I, I'm glad it was a part of my life at a, a younger stage, but I realized it's not quite for me. I still enjoy it and I'll, I'll touch the piano when I go to my aunt's house and my mom's, uh, but I realized that I'd rather be, you know, friends or have a mother daughter relationship with my mom than have her be my teacher. <laughs> That's a, so there was, it was never, a mutual decision, <laughs> right? Yeah. So there was never a decision or a, uh, a, 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 a brief thought that thought maybe you could do this, do that for a living. No. Mm-mm. Well, I did, I, I did transition from piano. I wanted to play saxophone or percussion, but I had really gnarly buck teeth when I was younger. And my orthodontist was like, you cannot play any reed instruments and percussion was all filled up. So I got stuck playing flute for about four years, which, I excelled at, but I didn't particularly enjoy it. But then after I got to high school, I was like, I'm getting turntables and I'm becoming a DJ. So I actually did that for 10 years. <laughs> well, now, now flute is uh, back in pop culture again because Lizzo's playing flute a yeah. lot. So, so she's making it cool again. <laughs> or if it yeah, ever was is. cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is there a comfort level difference between speaking in front of 200 people versus DJing in front of 200 people? Oh, man. If you asked me, like, even two years ago, I probably would have said that it's the same because I was terrified of being in front of people, even though I've been on stage since I was five. But I would always just black out. And then the last 15 minutes, like, when I would play hour sets as a DJ... I would be terrified for the first 45 minutes and then get really into it the first, the last 15 and be like, wait, it's over. I just started, you know, stop being afraid because I got into it. So I did myself a huge disservice back then being too scared. So I'm glad that I, you know, when I shifted to public speaking and going to Toastmasters, it'd be interesting if I started DJing again, how I would react. <laughs> how did that Toastmasters work out for you? Amazing. I was always pushing it off for years. Like friends kept telling me to go and I took three public speaking classes through high school and college and those never worked out for me and maybe even made it worse. Toastmasters, I did it for two years and uh, I even got to keynote an event. So uh, I would say that it was a success. I'm still nervous, but I think from what I've learned from professional speakers that that's still always going to be there. And yeah, you know, it's a healthy thing to have right. as long as you can control it. Obviously, you've you've sort of changed paths along the way. What was your first sort of, uh, I guess, career-related job, current career job? My first job was at Evo. They are a snowboard, ski, outdoor apparel and gear company uh, up in Seattle. And they have a physical location. They've opened up a few more, I think, in Portland and Denver. But they were, uh, back then when I first started as an intern, they were kind of, you know, really closely up to where REI is. And they're growing really quickly. So I came in at a good time. I learned a lot when I was there. But unfortunately, that was around the time that the recession hit. And they hired me on full time. But then they had to lay off a lot of their staff, unfortunately, because not many people were buying skis that year. So I was fortunate enough to stay on the team. But uh, everybody you know, kind of had to make some cuts. And my school loan payments kicked in. And I really had to find something that paid a little bit more or got some more hours working there. So I was really sad to leave that place. But after that, I really immersed myself into um now I'm familiar with calling it Google Ads after calling it AdWords for so long. But right. I went to work at a pet insurance company and I was there for I was an intern for three months and then they hired me on full time because they didn't have a PPC person and they said if you could come back after the weekend with some ideas, we'll talk about maybe hiring you full time and we'll go from there. And I came back and 
I came up with a bunch of ideas and my boss had done all of them except one. And he's like, all right, you're hired full time. So build this from the ground up. And I think that's around the time that I met you, um, going to SMX and stuff up, up there. So that was officially like where I really joined the whole PPC world. What are we talking about? What year is this? Oh gosh. Rough. 2008, nine. Okay. It's about 10 years ago. Oh my goodness. I know. <laughs> it doesn't know. seem that long so, ago. <laughs> sorry. I did, didn't mean to say it that way. <laughs> way to age us, yeah. John. Yeah, I know. But now you're doing your own thing, right? How did that come? I am. When did you, when did you start that officially? Um, this month will be five years. Well, as you know, I was working for a marketing event company before that. And then I realized that I wanted to do something more and, you know, be kind of, uh, have, not just have the responsibility, but also have the authority to do a lot of different things. I got. I got to ask about the big news in your life. T- tell What's me about. <laughs> t- t- tell me about Gia. It is Gia, Gia right? <laughs> it it is yes. Um, so she's a month old, and she's amazing. I think as far as baby goes, she definitely has a fun personality, and there's all those things of like sleep deprivation that come along with it. But she's great at communicating, and it's just been a wild ride. It's hard to imagine what life was, you know, even just. Before she was born, which is not very long ago. It's, it's funny. Like, like I said, I have a senior in high school now, so it's, it's a little different, but I remember when she was first born, someone had told me and I don't forget it. It's, she's, he said, uh, welcome to the club. <laughs> and I didn't really kind of brush it off at the time, but it does feel like once that happens, you're in some kind of secret club that you've heard, yeah. you've heard of. And all of a sudden people are, are talking to you and sharing stories with you and comparing <laughs> stories and. Um, you couldn't be more right. Like I, I feel like all these people that I've talked to over the years, but not to this extent, have reached out, and I feel like I'm like they're turning into really great friends now. I was like, oh, there's all these things that like I've heard parents say before, but I didn't get until I became one myself. It's easy, to say, easy for me to say now because I'm not in it like you are. But those early days of being up late at night, it's it's rough. But I, I enjoy, I, I enjoyed them. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the late night, 2 a.m., the, the sniff of the head, cause the head just, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. the head smells so, so great. Um, and it's I'm just so tiny and soft. I know. <laughs> and for me, the, uh, and you'll get there, but I don't want to rush it, but for me, that, that perfect age was right around five, six, seven. Oh, yeah. Um, those are fun ages. Yeah. But they, I hear from, you know, every stage has its challenges, but also it's really fun parts. Yeah. But the, for me, the, the, I guess the worst for me was, uh, we call, me and my wife calls it the, the day the devil jumped into her, which oh, is, no. <laughs> which is, which is th- things, literally, I know exactly what it was. It's, it's thanks, Thanksgiving day, 2006. She was about two and a half. We decided it'd be a good idea. Like, let's host Thanksgiving this year. Oh, no. And that, that was the, that was her worst day ever as a, as a kid. She didn't sleep. She was cranky. She was, uh, and meanwhile, my whole family is there looking at us being good parents. And meanwhile, it looks like we have no idea what we're doing. Oh, no. And she's not cooperating. So that was, I think that was the last time we tried to host, host Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. So we referred to it as the day the devil jumped into her. And, that's hilarious. And, and that's it. At that point, we thought we had everything down to a science. And then she went through like a six month period of terrible twos or threes or whatever that is about two and a half nice. really would it, would it kicked in. I'll but keep that in mind and not do any <laughs> holiday hosting or anything until she's like four. <laughs> but yeah, you're good now though. You're, yeah, exactly. You're good. So I, I last saw you in, cause I was looking at the dates. It was in Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. I guess end of February. 
yeah, that sounds about right. If my math is correct, <laughs> you you are probably um, I have to, I had to double check that, but you're probably pregnant. I yeah. was, yes. Uh, I assume you knew then. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we so found out in December. You want to share why, like why you why it was silent online? Uh there were multiple reasons. Prime, well, we wanted to kind of keep it to ourselves and enjoy that time, but also not share prematurely because you know there's a lot of unfortunate things that can happen in the, the first trimester. So we wanted to wait until that point, but then I unfortunately had something bad happen with a, a client at the time. And uh, unfortunately there's still a stigma around women being pregnant and being capable of working. And I feel like I did, this was my best year at work in terms of the work that I did, the clients we brought on. And I just didn't want to jeopardize it during this crucial year. So I figured, you know, I don't know who's looking at my stuff online and public channels like Twitter and you know, we'll enjoy this time to ourselves, tell family and friends and anybody that we see in person, but just keep it offline in case it impacts anything negatively without us knowing or, you know, this client told us, but just, uh, it was unfortunate, but in the end, it was kind of nice to just surprise everybody. Yeah, once that she was, was born. that was cool. Cause I think when I first emailed you about this conversation, it was probably about a month ago. Yeah. And, and you had said, <laughs> and you said just, just casually in an email. Oh, by the way, I just had a baby. Don't tell anyone yet. <laughs> And I went back and started thinking, wait a minute, did I even know? And I, I'm not checking. Th- I mean, I'm creeping on your Facebook feed. Like, where's their announcement? Did I miss something? I feel, oh. I feel like, I feel like an idiot for not even knowing this. And then oh, like, no, I'm sorry. And then I think, and then I think two days later, I think you officially posted it. It's like, okay. How'd you meet your husband? I met him at my previous job. We were working remotely. I was up in uh, Seattle, or actually the Bay Area, and he was down in Southern California. And, uh, I think, you know, Michelle Robbins, uh, yeah. yes, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So she, she was on our team, but, uh, he reported to her cause he was on her team and Michelle and I have been really good friends for a long time. And, um, she's like, Hey, uh, you should meet somebody. Well, I already knew him through work, but we'd never really met since we worked remotely. And, uh, yeah, we just met at SMX and the rest is history. You have him, you have Gia, you have pets at the house. Yes, we have a six, oh, about five or six year old dog named Gorby, and he oh. is, yeah, he's awesome. But he's he's going through the transition of right now. I'm like, okay, who's this little person uh. in the house? And I have a feeling that she's not leaving. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask how that's how that relationship's going. Is it a jealousy thing or? Um, it's more that he's just very, he's a little depressed. Uh, we're still trying to, you know, give him plenty of attention, let him up on the couch, which is a special treat. But we've been doing a lot more lately because we can't you know, take him on as many walks. But the first day we came home, he, he was curious, but he wasn't interested. He's like, why is she making so much noise? But over the last few days, he's just been curious and protective. Like anytime I take her somewhere, he'll go. And then if I sit down, he'll just lay by our feet and just hang out with us. Well, let's talk about your work these days. Obviously, you're a little busy now. But when you get back into full swing, and you're deep into social media advertising. That's the focus. So... Instagram, Facebook, what uh, what areas are you focusing on currently? So primarily everything, social media ads, um, and primarily e-commerce, mobile apps, and events. I'll take on some lead gen too, but I'm a little bit more picky about that. Oh yeah. So one of the things I'm I'm noticing, you tell me if you're you're seeing this as well. It feels like there's I don't know what the word would be like a, a devaluing of sort of the li- likes and cross mm-hmm. Facebook and Instagram. I guess all of them for that matter. I don't know, yeah. they eventually start phasing away. Are, are you noticing that as well? 
Yes, and I think I read yesterday there's an article that in Australia Facebook is testing uh, removing likes altogether. Moving further, then how do you? Uh, I mean, ultimately, how do you make? I mean, I don't, I don't guess likes would be a really success more ben- benchmark, anyways. But how do you measure success of a of a Facebook ad, for instance, or an Instagram ad? Uh, it depends on what your goals are. If you're looking, for, you know, if your main goal is to do awareness, it'll be interesting how that transitions. If they take away the like and maybe other reactions, but. Yeah. <sighs> I'm surprised to see that because they just introduced a whole slew of other types of reactions in the last few years. So maybe they'll get rid of those and maybe they want people to actually engage more and not have a quick click to just react on something. So I think that if they do transition those away and we're focusing just on comments and shares as a higher value type of engagement, then I think for engagement campaigns, that will be the the core metrics you'll want to look at. But if your goals are awareness or traffic conversions uh, or any other types of um, conversion type of campaigns that Facebook has or Instagram, then there's other types of metrics that you'll want to focus on the the, first ones. It does feel like it'll be a shift in um, like the way influencers make money that they're making. Oh yeah. Love likes. Oh yeah. They're definitely going to have to (laughs) step up their game a little bit, get even more creative. Do you, uh, do you still see, I guess, celebrity influencers being a big part of, things moving forward? Uh, to an extent, yes, just because of the reach that they have. But from what I've seen and have read is that, you know, micro-influencers do get a lot higher quality conversions and types of potential customers or people that engage with them and their brands. So while they may be smaller and the volume is less in terms of what the goals are that they're accomplishing, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of brands might want to reach out to people because they're much more relatable you know, like what Kim Kardashian's promoting may not be applicable to, you know, your everyday life because you don't live that type of lifestyle. But somebody that might look like you, that might live down the street, maybe a fashion blogger that you can afford the clothes that they're wearing, uh, that's something a little bit more approachable and you can find more success with. But it's interesting because, you know, influencers, some of them do get like mini celebrity status because they become popular in their own area of expertise. What about something like, um, IG, IGTV. Do you see any uh, value there? I do. I was really curious when it first came out and they made a really big push. And I remember news channels reporting it on like, Oh, it's YouTube's killer. And I was like, okay, like, let's, let's calm down a little bit. Like it's new. <laughs> YouTube's very well established, but uh, it kind of died down very quickly and nobody was talking about it because I think around the same time they were uh, releasing stories which was competing directly with Snapchat. And, you know, that's really big for the younger market. But I think Instagram's done a really great job building that out. So I think now they're trying to reincorporate IGTV. And I wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing advertising placements there too in the near future, because a lot of the organic posts that I'm seeing or through Instagram, you can watch stuff in longer formats on IGTV and try to draw people into that area if they want to see more. I mean, with stuff changing... And, and new stuff come on board. Some of the basic principles still apply. Like you still need mm-hmm. a, you still need a strong call to action. You still need to uh, define what your message is and who you're going after. Because I mean, there's obviously you do tons of video, but video without a purpose doesn't really do you much good. I would think with IGTV, I still don't know to. Uh, I don't go over. I don't notice it. I don't uh, make it <laughs> make an effort to go to that side of IGTV. So I wonder if there's a maybe it's just me. Um, I wonder if there's a, a, a change coming where it's more integrated and 
in our, my Instagram feeds or just shows up as I'm browsing through sort of thing. Ah, uh, you know, that's that's a great hypothesis. I wouldn't be surprised if they did that. And I totally relate with you. I The only time I ever click it is when I'm accidentally trying to click the little thing in the corner for settings or the other the icon that's there and my finger accidentally hits it and I'm like oh oops and or sometimes there have been times where the only time I look at it is where I'm looking at an organic Instagram post and they have a video and then it says to to watch more click through to IGTV then I'll do that but if it's not in my feed I don't really think about it um like you said obviously at some point you I don't know if it was a conscious effort but you switched from Sort of doing, I guess, traditional Google ads to to social. Did that just happen naturally, or did you? Was there a decision to do that? Ah, uh, there was a decision for that. So, as you know, I started off with paid search, and then when I went on my own, I decided to just offer everything from paid search, paid social, and um, two years into doing that, I realized that I always wanted just to do more paid social, and like while I, I thrived and was successful at Google ads and Bing ads. I, I personally like to target people based on interests and behaviors rather than keywords. It's just how my brain kind of, I feel like I'm strong. I have some, some stronger skill sets with that. If it didn't work out and if I just specialized and I didn't find as much success <clears throat> in growing my business that I could always revert and offer more services. And I made the decision to just remove it from my website, start promoting more that I do paid social and really excel at that, teach myself more and become an expert at it, even though it's always a moving target with our industry. But um, yeah, essentially, long story long, <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. yeah. Well, you clearly seem to be your zone, your wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I haven't had to go back. Like I still dabble with Google ads just to stay in the know. And I have some pre-existing clients from you know, several years back that still do that. So I, I won't cut those services off for them, but it also yeah. keeps me in the game a little bit. So I don't feel as lost if I do remerge back in that space. What do you think's next for you career wise? Obviously to keep the business growing. Yeah. It's actually been on my mind a lot lately. So funny you ask, uh, with it being five years, I'm trying to figure out what growth looks like. I, you know, I left a traditional job to have more flexibility, work my own schedule, be able to travel and work remotely. But I don't want to be back in an office and build an agency, which I feel like is the natural thing for a lot of people that do what we do. And that's what growth is because, you know, you can only raise your rates a, a certain amount and you can hire people, but I'm trying to figure out how to, I know some people have done it in our industry and successfully. So I'm just trying to figure out how to do it my own way, but build a remote agency, just small. Um, I have contractors that work for me, but I'm wondering if I can expand that a little bit further. Yeah, I, I went through this, that same decision making process because I first started my company, Crescent Interactive. I went through that same process and, and my first thought was I wanted to build an agency, like an, an actual office agency and, and slowly get there. But about a couple years into it, I, I realized that I don't, I don't even like being in an office myself. So I can't expect, I can't expect other people to do that. And the other thing that hit me is I had a, I had a big client a couple years ago that eventually left. Then I had somebody doing a lot of that work for me. And so it hit me that once that client left, I couldn't pay that person. So, and, and they weren't, they weren't a full-time worker. They were a contractor, but if they would have been a, a full-time person, the pain of the agony of trying to tell someone I can no longer afford you. I, just, I don't want that burden. <laughs> it just, it's, it's too much. That's where I'm, I am. And, um, and obviously it does hinder me some because I can't probably some, some clients you aren't just going to get if you're, if you don't walk in there with a team of people. 
but I'm okay with that. I just, the clients I have and the ones I kind of get that, that works for me. Well, hey, you know, you, you can land some big ones too. Yeah. Especially if it's project by project. Right. Yeah. I'm not sure if I, you know, I don't have, I don't have it all figured out yet, but that's kind of where I am. And so we'll, we'll see where it goes. It's great that we don't really have a blueprint for what we do for work and I know. it's fluid, but at the same time, it's like, okay, but no, really, what do I do next? <laughs> so what's on your, uh, obviously you're, you're busy now. Got plans to get out to conferences soon? I'm speaking at SEMPDX in March in Portland, Oregon. That's my first one back. I decided that I'm not going to do any this fall just because, yeah, I decided I'm not going to travel for the first six months. So, One last thing I want to ask you about. What advice would you give a high school student that, you know, going into college looking to do what you do? Oh, gosh. You know, I can only speak from my experiences, but I will say if you're going to school – you know, college was great, even though I'm not using my degree. So if you're, you feel like you're going down one path, you're going to do a lot of ex- uh, self-exploration in those years. And if it's not what you want to do, by the time you get out of it, that's okay. You'll figure out another path. Just see, uh, try different things. Don't be afraid. Like if you have some sort of curiosity about something that you don't maybe foresee as a career, check it out anyways, whether it's a club, a class, uh, you know, something of the sort, just so you can get some experience with it and realize if you, you know, if it makes sense for you or if it doesn't. And if it doesn't, that's fine. But as long as you try, test everything in your life, essentially, and just optimize from there, which I know sounds like such a marketer thing to say, but I really apply that to everything else in <laughs> a- my B- life. <laughs> yeah. A-B test and optimize your college experience. Exactly. Yeah. Try everything, you know, see what works, see what doesn't, and uh, you'll figure it out uh, one way or another, whether it's through education or through life experiences or the work that you do, and kind of just figure out your path uh, one step at a time. Or, you know, there's some people that just know what they want to do, and they do it, and they do it well, and they love it, but I feel like a majority of us have to dabble in a few things before we really find our, our place. I feel it. Thank you so much for joining me today and bringing in your career insight. I really appreciate it. Listener, thank you for being a part of today's episode. I appreciate you making this part of your podcast routine. Be sure to subscribe so you're first to know of new episodes. If you haven't yet, leave me a comment in Apple Podcasts or leave me a review or however you are listening. I love to hear from you. Reviews and stars, of course, are always welcome and helpful. As always, you can find this podcast on all the major channels. Join the discussion online and let's talk even more about marketing. As always, you can find me on Twitter every day at John W. Ellis. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.